1745, a mysterious man was arrested in London and charged with spying. He called himself the Count of St. Germain. And for almost 200 years, the Count of St. Germain was present at every significant political event in the world and always looked the same age. Some say he walked the earth during the time of Christ. Some say he walks the earth still. This is his story. Seventeen forty-five was a difficult time in England. The Jacobites, propped up by the French monarchy, had seized Edinburgh that summer. England was capturing, imprisoning, and executing spies everywhere. The man who called himself the Count of Saint Germain was arrested in a coffee shop under suspicion of espionage and was taken in for questioning. The Count's captors quickly learned that he was fluent in every European language and other languages from around the world. Still, he wouldn't tell them where he was from or what his name was. Boris Walpole, the Prime Minister's son, wrote that St. Germain could sing, compose, and play the violin so well that one would have thought he was a famous musician. He said the Count told him two truths. He does not go by his real name, and he never had any dealings with any women. Walpole believed that the Count was a man of quality who was involved with the church. He described the Count as being pale with jet black hair and a beard. Though he dressed extremely well, Walpole didn't believe the Count was a gentleman, but rather he had been given a fortune. Who the Count's patron was, nobody knew. Though he appeared about 45 years old, nobody had seen him before. And while in custody, he gave details about historical events that only an eyewitness would know. St. Germain's jailers found him extremely odd. And during this time of rebellion, foreigners in England were imprisoned simply for being foreign. Yet somehow, without giving his real name, age, or place of birth, the Count of St. Germain was set free. Word quickly got around about this strange man who could speak every language, composed music, and spoke of history as if he lived it. When the Prince of Wales heard the stories, he wanted to know more, so he sent for the Count. But it didn't matter. The Count of St. Germain was gone. When Western soldiers returned from the Crusades, they brought with them legends from the East. One of those was the story of Cartophilus, also known as the Wandering Jew. Now, this was taken to be nothing more than a story until 1228, when an Armenian archbishop visiting the abbey at St. Albans spoke of having dinner with a strange man who spoke of history as if he was there. When the mysterious man dined with the archbishop, he told him that he had been wandering for nearly 12 centuries. He explained he had been baptized by Ananias, who had also been baptized by the Apostle Paul, and had been born again as Joseph. But in the time of Jesus, his name had been Cartophilus. He told the story of how he had been a Roman porter for the Hall of Pontius Pilate. He claimed he had been present when Pilate sentenced Jesus to death by crucifixion. Cartophilus recalled as Jesus had left the hall, he struck Jesus and mocked him. He told Jesus to stop resting and move along. Jesus said to Cartophilus, I shall go and I will rest, but you shall not rest until I return. Cartophilus didn't know what Jesus meant by this, but as the years passed, Cartophilus' friends and family grew old and died, while Cartophilus would live to the age of 100, fall asleep, and awaken at the same age as when he struck Jesus. He was destined to walk the earth as the symbol of the repentant sinner, or the unrepentant heretic, or mortal until Christ's return. 
The Archbishop had said he met Kartoffelis several times. He questioned him cautiously, looking for any hint of dishonesty, but he found none. Kartoffelis was a simple man who refused all but basic needs to live, spoke only when spoken to, and hoped to find salvation in penitence. Kartoffelis was also seen six centuries earlier by a monk. The encounter was later described to the Byzantine monk John Moscus, who wrote of it in the Limonarian. You and I are condemned to the same punishment. I am he who struck on the cheek the creator of the universe, our Lord Jesus Christ, at the time of the Passion. That is why I cannot stop weeping. While on pilgrimage in 1267, Italian astrologer Guido Bonatti wrote of meeting Cartophilus in the town of Forli. In 1525, a French monk named Michel Menot wrote of a soldier in Jerusalem. The soldier was led to a secret chamber and shown Cartophilus, continually walking and atoning for his sins. At the end of the 16th century, an author named Penelius made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When he returned to Italy, he told the story of meeting the captain of Jerusalem. The captain showed him a secret place where he witnessed a strange man. The captain made him swear to keep the man's identity a secret. This man is the servant who struck your Christ before the high priest Annas. For punishment of his grievous crime, he was condemned by your Christ to remain here. We too believe in the old traditions in this place he stays, never eating, nor drinking, never sleeping, nor taking rest, but always walking as you see him. Cartophilus was seen in the Middle East for thousands of years, then he began to appear in Europe. It seemed as if the wandering Jew was now wandering west. Then one day, a mysterious stranger arrived in Paris. He dressed simply but elegantly and all in black. He wore diamonds from head to toe. He had rings on every finger and even had diamond buckles on his shoes. He appeared to be about 45 years old and he called himself the Count of Saint Germain. When the Count of Saint Germain arrived in Paris, he appeared out of nowhere, but he made an instant impression on the social class. He was obviously a man of significant means, but nobody knew where he came from or where he got his money. He became the must have guest at any dinner party. He was a talented painter, a singer, and he could play the violin so beautifully that people were moved to tears. His memory was also exceptional. He would routinely entertain guests by recalling everything written on a paper he had only glanced at once and days earlier, or by reading the contents of a sealed letter without ever touching it. He was able to answer questions before they had even been asked. He could write a poem with his left hand while he framed a picture with his right. He was a brilliant conversationalist who would dazzle anyone, no matter who they were or where they were from. He was fluent in French, English, Spanish, Italian, Russian, Dutch, German, and Portuguese, and native speakers couldn't detect an accent. The Count also could speak conversational Polish, Chinese, Arabic, Ancient Greek, Latin, and Sanskrit. He had immense knowledge about everything, science, art, philosophy, politics, but where he really excelled? history. He would give accounts of the lives of Henry VIII, Nero, Cleopatra, and famous historical figures. When asked how he could know so much about people that had been dead for hundreds of years, the Count would simply smile and say, I was there. He even claimed to have met Jesus Christ personally. This would make the Count well over a thousand years old, which brought challenges from Parisian skeptics. But whenever another historian would try to stump the Count on obscure details, the Count always knew the answers. 
He carried a small portrait of his mother. When someone would ask what period of clothing she was wearing, he would just smile and change the subject. In addition to being a talented musician, artist, and historian, he was also a gifted alchemist. He claimed he discovered the secret of the Philosopher's Stone, a process that can change base metals into gold. He said he had discovered the elixir for life, which is how he accounted for his youthful appearance. Saint Germain even impressed the famous philosopher Voltaire, one of the keenest minds at the time. Voltaire said of Saint Germain, he is the man who knows everything and never dies. Now, I admit the story of the Count of Saint Germain sounds fantastic and supernatural, but everything we know about him comes from eyewitness accounts. The only way to really know if the Count was telling the truth about his age is to find someone who knew him in the past and could identify him in the present. Turns out, there was. One evening, the Count of Saint Germain was mingling with the elites in Paris, and Countess von Giorgi recognized him from when he was in Venice in 1710, about 50 years earlier. The Countess asked Saint Germain if he perhaps had a father or a grandfather who was in Venice at the time. He said, No, madam, it was I who had the honor of paying you court. The Countess couldn't believe it. She said the man she had met 50 years ago wasn't more than 45 years old, and here was Saint Germain who looked the same age. In fact, she thought he might have looked a few years younger. He said, Madam, I am very old. He went on to give her details about their meeting. She was stunned and said, that must make you over a hundred years old. The Count smiled and said, this is not impossible. Soon after that, word reached King Louis, who found the story entertaining, but didn't give it much thought. But when the King learned that the Count had a process for removing the flaws from gems and turning lead into gold, the King said, bring this man to me at once. The Count of St. Germain accepted the King's invitation and immediately left for the palace at Versailles. When the Count of St. Germain arrived at the Royal Palace in Versailles, he was an instant sensation. Casanova himself wrote about their first meeting. He said the Count of St. Germain was a scholar, linguist, musician, and chemist, and as a conversationalist, was unequaled. And Casanova noted the Count never ate. He would sip mineral water and occasionally drink herbal tea, but he never saw him consume food of any kind. The Count had traveled to the palace with an assortment of equipment and substances that he used for his alchemy experiments. He created makeup and special face wash for the ladies of the court, which they swore made them look years younger. He told the king of a process he invented for colors and dyes that would increase the value of French fabrics. But the king wasn't interested in fabrics. He wanted to know about the Count's abilities with precious stones. The Count said he had just spent five years with the Shah of Persia who taught him an ancient and closely guarded technique for removing flaws from diamonds and even creating larger diamonds by melting smaller ones together. Now, the king was skeptical of this claim, to which the Count replied, Your Majesty, I have witnessed Christ turn water into wine. Diamonds are a mere trifle. The king proposed a test. King Louis had a diamond that was valued at 6,000 francs, but without its flaw, it would be worth 10,000 francs or more. The Count said he could remove the flaw in a month. A month later, he returned with the diamond, flawless. King Louis's jeweler examined it and valued the stone at 9,600 francs. The King was impressed and set the Count up with his own laboratory right there in the palace. The Count of Saint-Germain became a fixture at Versailles. For the next couple of years, 
The Count worked all day in his private lab and spent all night dazzling the king's guests. But one day the king went to pay the Count a visit, and once again, the Count of St. Germain was gone. Throughout the 18th century, the Count of St. Germain would pop up all over the world. He was seen by Sir Robert Clive in India. He was at The Hague trying to broker peace between Prussia and Austria. Anton Mesmer, namesake of the word mesmerize, received the count. When Mesmer was a young physicist in Germany, he said St. Germain possessed a vast understanding of the workings of the human mind and had been directly responsible for teaching Mesmer the art of hypnosis. Some say this was how the count was able to talk his way out of the English prison. The count was in Russia and helped bring Catherine the Great to the throne. He was in Holland attempting to end the Seven Years' War. He advised the king that the Duke de Choiselle had no intentions of coming to an agreement to end the conflict, but King Louis insisted the Count resolve it. After locking himself in a room with the Duke de Choiselle overnight, the Count emerged with the family compact, which led to the Treaty of Paris. He met up with Casanova again in the north of France, where he, according to Casanova's own memoirs, turned a pocket coin into gold. In all of these accounts, St. Germain appears 45 years old. After the death of King Louis XV, the Count of St. Germain suddenly reappeared at Versailles, and he warned King Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette of the coming revolution. He said a giant conspiracy would disrupt the entire nation and that the king was in danger. The royal couple dismissed him, but in her memoirs, Marie Antoinette wrote that she wished that she had taken the Count more seriously. In the summer of 1776, the Second Continental Congress gathered in Philadelphia to sign the Declaration of Independence. But the meeting wasn't going smoothly. Some delegates feared war with England, the most powerful country on the planet. Then, just as talks were breaking down, a voice thundered from the back of the room and gave a rousing speech about courage, commitment, and freedom. Inspired by these words, the delegates immediately rushed forward. John Hancock had barely finished signing when another took up his quill. America would be free. And when the men looked up to thank this man, he was gone. His name was never recorded, and though the room was locked and guarded, he was able to enter and leave without anyone seeing him. All that's known is he was a man of average height and build, dressed all in black, who appeared about 45 years old. In 1779, St. Germain befriended Prince Charles of Germany and spent the next five years as a guest in the prince's castle. Then, on February 27, 1784, the Count of St. Germain died of pneumonia. He was laid to rest at a local church. His service was attended by many of the people whose lives had been touched by the Count. But, in 1785, a year after his death, the Count of St. Germain had returned. He was once seen again with Anton Mesmer in Germany. Later that year, the French Freemasons had chosen as their representative the Count of St. Germain. In July of 1789, Marie Antoinette received a second and final warning from the Count in a letter. My words have fallen on your deaf ears in vain, and you have reached the period of which I informed you. All the Polignacs and their friends are doomed to death. The Comte d'Artois will perish. He also wrote to Madame Dadamar that October. All is lost, Countess. This sun is the last which will set on the monarchy. Tomorrow it will exist no more. My advice has been scorned, and now it is too late. The following day, the Count met with Madame Dadamar. He told her he needed to go to Sweden to stop a great crime. 
She asked the Count if she would ever see him again. He said five more times and warned her to not wish for a sixth. True to his word, she saw him at the beheading of the Queen in 1793, then again in 1799 at the 18th Brumaire of Napoleon. The third meeting was the day after the death of Duke Dangan in 1804. The Count appeared to her a fourth time in January of 1813, and then for the last time in 1820 on the eve of the assassination of the Duke de Berry. She wrote in her diary that she was amazed that every time she saw him, he still looked 45 years old. It's believed that Madame Datamar did in fact see the Count of St. Germain a sixth time in 1822 on the day that she died. With the exception of Madame Datamar's visits, the Count was not seen again. In fact, in 1790, he shared his plans with his Austrian friend, Franz Grafer. He said that he was leaving for Constantinople and then on to England. He said that once his work was done, he would leave to the Himalayas to rest and would not return for 85 years. In 1870, Emperor Napoleon III was so fascinated by the Count, he created a special commission to investigate him. A year later, a mysterious fire destroyed all the records they gathered. Then 87 years after he spoke with Franz Grafer about his return, St. Germain was seen again, this time at a Freemason Lodge in Venice in 1877. In 1896, Theosophist Annie Besant said the Count had been in contact with her. Madame Lovatsky had made similar claims before she died. Besant said the Count claimed to have been of an immortal race, who come from a civilization hidden beneath the Himalayas. Theosophy is a religion that claims there's an ancient secret brotherhood of spiritual beings known as the Masters. These Masters are said to have great wisdom and supernatural powers. In 1902, a man arrived in New Orleans from France. He was elegant, wealthy, and mysterious. He quickly became a fixture in New Orleans high society. He was known to be a ladies' man, frequently seen with beautiful women in the French Quarter. His name was Jacques Saint Germain. Saint Germain would host some of the most anticipated parties in the city. He served fantastic foods, fine wine, and always provided a wealth of entertainment. He would regale his guests with stories of his exploits from around the world, France, Italy, Africa, and throughout the Middle East. Saint Germain would often speak of historical events with incredible detail. He had a gift for painting mental pictures as vivid as the days the events took place, even if those events happened hundreds of years ago or more. Many people dismissed the stories as fantasy, but enjoyed them all the same. Portraits hung on all the walls of St. Germain's home, many of which seemed very old. When asked, he revealed that some of them were of his ancestor, the Count of St. Germain. Some questioned the truth of this claim, but it was clear to see that Jacques had a remarkable resemblance to the late Count. In fact, when looking at the portraits side by side, it was hard to tell which was Jacques and which was the Count. This led some to joke that maybe he was the Count and Jacques was merely his cover. Jacques laughed with his guests, but never outwardly denied it. The feasts offered at St. Germain's parties were exquisite. Despite this, he was never known to partake. Rather than sit at the table, he would just stand close by holding a glass of wine, never taking so much as a single sip. One evening, the police were called to Jacques' home. A woman had fallen from the second story balcony. Upon finding the woman, she was alive and terrified. She had not fallen from the balcony at all, like witnesses had reported. She jumped. As her wounds were being tended to, the hysterical woman confirmed that she jumped and that she was trying to get away from St. Germain, who had bitten her neck. 
The police dismissed her claim. They informed the well-established St. Germain that there was no need for him to come to the police station for questioning. It was already late in the evening. Instead, they suggested he come in the morning and allow the woman time to recover from her traumatic event. St. Germain agreed, and everyone left for the evening. In the morning, the police eagerly awaited St. Germain. The city was already buzzing, and the officers wanted the story quickly resolved. But St. Germain never showed. The police went to his house, but Jacques St. Germain had fled. But he did leave a few things behind. The police found a large collection of bloodstained clothing, clothing from many different time periods. They also found bottles filled with a mixture of wine and human blood. This one case had planted a seed that would grow into an obsession and fear for every citizen of New Orleans, a fear of the vampire. And Jacques St. Germain was never seen again. In 1914, during World War I, the Count was allegedly captured by two Bavarian soldiers. They said he spoke many languages and wouldn't tell them where he was from. But he did say the war would end in 1918. The soldiers thought he was crazy, but they let the man ramble. The Count said that a tyrant from the lower classes would wear an ancient symbol and lead Germany into another global war in 1939, and Germany would be defeated in six years but not before committing unspeakable acts of violence. The soldiers were so unsettled by the strange man that they let him go. In 1930, Guy Ballard met the Count of St. Germain on Mount Shasta in California. And Ballard claims St. Germain was one of several ascended masters like Jesus Christ. Ballard formed an entire religion called the I Am Activity Movement around St. Germain's teachings. At one point, the I Am religion had over a million members, and it still exists today. So that leads us to two big questions. First, was the Count of St. Germain a real person? Well, he most definitely was. There's no debate about that. But was he supernatural? He's been called a prophet, a sorcerer, and an immortal. He's been spotted all over the world for a thousand years. Some say, and even the Count himself said, he was Cartophilus, the legendary wandering Jew, cursed by Jesus with immortality. The Count of St. Germain advised kings, queens, and emperors. He was present at every significant event in European history, and even was an important contributor to America's struggle for independence. He spoke a dozen languages fluently. He played piano and violin like a virtuoso. He was an expert in art, science, politics, philosophy, and history. The Count left an impression on everyone he met. But today, we'll see if we can separate the man from the myth. In paranormal history, you won't find anyone more interesting and mysterious than the Count of St. Germain. There are countless stories about him spanning hundreds, maybe even thousands of years. But how many of these stories are true? Well, let's start with Cartophilus. The earliest account I could find was from the monk John Moschus. He wrote about a monk called Isidore who had passed the story of meeting Cartophilus to him. The story is thin and it's a secondhand account. The author called Penelius claimed to have made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. He said he saw an imprisoned Cartophilus in a secret chamber in the 1590s. But details of the pilgrimages were extremely well kept and there's no record of a Penelius making the journey. But it's worth stating that the Abbey at St. Albans is known for its historic records and artifacts. It's also known for having a thorough vetting process for both. This includes the account of the Armenian Archbishop's encounters with Cartophilus. 
This account is also his most detailed sighting. But the only link from the Count of St. Germain to Cartophilus is the Count of St. Germain's own word. Claiming that he was Cartophilus doesn't prove it's true. It also doesn't prove it's not. Every story about the Count has him fluent in a dozen languages that he speaks so well, he even fools native speakers. Well, this isn't accurate. In historical records, the first we hear about St. Germain is his arrest in 1745 for being a spy. But the quote is never printed in full. When English authorities arrested St. Germain, they said he spoke Spanish and Portuguese like a native speaker. He was fluent in Italian and spoke French with a Piedmont accent. He spoke in broken English, enough to get by, but nowhere near fluent. They assumed he was from Spain or Portugal. Now, it is true that King Louis was very taken with him, but King Louis was not a deep thinker. The king's chief advisors considered Saint-Germain an arrogant imposter. The king's doctor said he was a quack. The count disappeared from France not because of some spiritual quest, but because the king's chief minister ordered his arrest, so he fled the country. When Saint-Germain turned Casanova's coin into gold, it wasn't through a chemical process. It was sleight of hand, something that irritated Casanova. Casanova met him a few times and said he was brilliant, but Casanova also said the Count was a con man, a spy, or both. He deeply believed the Count to be a fraud, calling him the king of the imposters and quacks. But this didn't stop him from admiring the Count all the same. He even wrote about the Count in his memoirs. Notwithstanding his boastings, his barefaced lies, and his manifold eccentricities, I cannot say I thought him offensive. In spite of my knowledge of what he was, and in spite of my own feelings, I thought him an astonishing man, as he was always astonishing me. When Saint Germain fixed the king's diamond, the diamond the count brought back was of a different cut, and slightly larger. Saint Germain said the diamond becoming larger was part of the process. Madame de Pompadour, the king's chief mistress, was very familiar with precious stones. She looked through a box of the count's gems, laughed, and said they were fake. She said they were very pretty, but still fake. Yes, Voltaire did say the Count of Saint-Germain is the man who knows everything and never dies. I've seen this quoted a million times. But what's rarely said is Voltaire was being sarcastic. He was pretty much saying, oh yeah, that guy. Now the story about the Countess who recognizes him from 50 years ago, that really happened. But the entire story isn't often told. The Countess, who was almost 90, was senile and everybody knew it. Even Saint-Germain said so when the Countess thought she met Saint-Germain years earlier. She simply made a mistake and set a legend in motion. The legends of Saint-Germain having met Jesus started because an English comedian named Millard Gower started impersonating Saint-Germain as part of his act. Every time Gower performed, the stories got crazier. The Count's last stop was the castle of Prince Charles in Germany. Prince Charles said that the Count of Saint-Germain was a small, gray-haired, elderly man not a chatty 45-year-old. When St. Germain died in 1784, he was estimated to be 93 years old. His death was witnessed, and his belongings were documented. When theosophist Madame Blavatsky said she had St. Germain's secret documents, she actually had a copy of a memoir written a few years earlier. The memoir didn't contain mystical knowledge, just biographical information and stories about a charming man who was good at talking people's ears off. Eventually, Blavatsky was exposed as a fraud by a whistleblower in her movement, but plenty of occultists were fans of the Count. All accounts of St. Germain's interactions after his death are from theosophy writings, writings that were written anonymously. This includes the stories of Marie Antoinette, Madame Dadamar, Franz Grafer, and the bit about the Himalayas. 
While they can't be proved to be untrue, I'd recommend you take them with a whole lot of salt. The legend of Jacques Saint Germain is a fantastic story that's been alive in New Orleans since the beginning of the 20th century. The problem is, all evidence of this man comes from word of mouth. There are no eyewitnesses on record. I scoured 327 pages of handwritten homicide reports covering 1901 through 1903. There's no mention of anyone named Jacques Saint Germain being suspected of or accused of murder. Still, the records aren't complete, and the entire record for 1904 is missing. We may never know whether Jacques Saint Germain existed or not. All records of him, including those gathered by Napoleon III, have been destroyed, and may be destroyed on purpose. Either way, the legend of Jacques Saint Germain lives on today. His house is a popular tourist attraction, and some people say they still see the immortal Saint Germain stalking the streets of New Orleans in search of his next victim. As for Guy Ballard, maybe he really did meet Saint Germain on Mount Shasta. I don't know, I wasn't there. But I do know that Ballard plagiarized a lot of his material from science fiction books and was found guilty of fraud, so you be the judge. But what if, after all this, the Count of Saint Germain was just the man? The Count of Saint Germain is said to be from everywhere. Some say he was a high priest from Atlantis, or he was a prophet from the Middle East. He's said to be Merlin the Wizard, Plato, St. Alman, Christopher Columbus, or one of the last Templar Knights. People claim that Roger Bacon was the Count. They even claimed Francis Bacon was the Count. They didn't mention anything about Kevin Bacon. On his deathbed, the Count of St. Germain confessed that he was the son of Francis Ricosi II, Prince of Transylvania, and that he was 88 years old. To avoid being a political target, he was sent to Italy to study with the last of the Medicis. This would explain his wealth, his excellent education, and why he spoke so many languages. But still, if this story were true, he would have been almost 70 years old when he was at Versailles, not 45. His father, Prince Francis, would have been 15 years old when the Count was born. Not impossible, but not likely. Another theory is that Saint Germain was an Alsatian Jew named Simon Wolf, born around 1700, who hid his identity to avoid religious persecution. Others say he was a Spanish Jesuit named Amar. His true title was the Marquis de Betmar from Portugal, and this would explain why his Spanish and Portuguese sounded so perfect. None other than P.T. Barnum took an interest in the Count and did his own research, and nobody knows a good scammer better than Barnum. Using Barnum's research and the research from other historians, I think the best theory is that Saint Germain was the son of an Italian princess. This princess had an illicit affair with an Italian tax collector. When the Count was a child, he was separated from his mother. He was given a world-class education, a lump sum of money, and instructions to hide his true identity. This theory suggests he was born around 1690 in a region of Italy called San Germano, which in English is Saint Germain. San Germano is on the northern border of Italy and Switzerland. Directly to the west is France. This region is called Piedmont. The so-called unidentifiable accent he spoke with? Native speakers identified his accent as distinctly Piedmont, which has been documented. If he had been born in this area, he would have grown up speaking French, Italian, and German interchangeably. The jump to speaking Spanish and Portuguese from there isn't difficult. If you're fluent in French and German, English would come pretty easily too. Still, these are just theories. Nobody except the Count himself knew his true origin. He enjoyed the mystery that surrounded him, so he fed into his own myth wherever he could. He was a legend, yes, but a legendary con man. He never stole from anyone. 
but he was perfectly happy to live rent-free in castles, palaces, and lavish apartments all over Europe. The Count was a brilliant man who used his charm and intellect to befriend wealthy, influential people to support his lifestyle. Eventually, his charm and money ran out, and he died virtually penniless. Even in the face of all this evidence, many people still believe he's an immortal who walks the earth to this day. I don't, but the legend of the Count of St. Germain is such a good one, I want to be wrong. So for the sake of argument, let's believe it for a bit. When the Count of St. Germain died in 1784, none of his personal possessions were recovered. Not his violin he had with him, no trinkets from his adventures throughout Europe, no letters and no portrait of his mother. Even if he didn't have much left at the end of his life, he'd still have something. Instead, it looks like the Count was trying to make a clean getaway. The world was shrinking around him, and tales of his exploits were reaching farther than ever. Maybe it was finally time to leave the Count of St. Germain behind. The Count was happy to entertain the legend that he was immortal at every turn. That is, until he met someone who actually remembered him 50 years earlier. When he was confronted by Countess von Georgie, he said she was senile. But what if the Count only said this because the Countess was onto him? The details of Cartophilus vary, but according to Cartophilus himself, he said that he ages, reaches 100 years old, then wakes up young again. This could explain why von Georgie thought he may have looked younger at their second meeting. There are so many incredible aspects to this story and ultimately it can't be proved or disproved. But I can tell you this for certain. If I'm ever sitting on a quiet mountain and I'm approached by a mysterious man who claims to be Cartophilus or Joseph or the Count of St. Germain, I'll be skeptical, but I'm still gonna listen to what that man has to say. Because you never know, he could be the man who knows everything and never dies. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. My name is AJ. This has been The Y Files. If you had fun or learned anything, do me a favor, leave a nice review. That lets me know to keep making these things for you. And like most topics I cover on the channel, today's was recommended by you. So if there's a story you'd like to learn more about, go to thewifiles.com slash tips. Special thanks to our patrons who make The Y Files possible. I could not do this without your support. And if you'd like to support the channel, consider becoming a member on Patreon. For as little as three bucks a month, you get early access to videos without commercials, you get first dibs on products like the Hecklefish Talking Plushie, and you get two private live streams a week just for you. Another great way to support is grab something from The Y Files store. Go to shop.thewifiles.com. Your support keeps this crazy train going. Until next time, be safe, be kind, and know that you are appreciated.